1K, the 1,000 Second Interview Podcast, is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. I'm Scott Galloway, and you're listening to 1K, the 1,000 Second Podcast. Every podcast is entertainment-focused and interview-driven. At the end of that time, we're done. 1K is affiliated with the 100 Words Film Festival and powered by Ortho Carolina. Let's put a thousand seconds on the clock. Our guest today is Thomas Golovich, a prolific award-winning music supervisor for film and television. He's a founding and board member of the Guild of Music Supervisors. His many notable credits include Six Feet Under, The Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, and Better Call Saul. His most recent project, El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, is out on Netflix today. Thomas, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Some of the shows you've worked on are some of my favorites, so I'm excited to talk to you. I've read that you worked in journalism and graphic design and radio at one point in your career. How did you make the transition to working in film and television? I think it was actually probably a form of procrastination <laughs> and a, a detour that basically just led me astray. I went to film school uh, at Boston University in the late 80s, early 90s. And I got distracted by journalism. And then I started an internet magazine when I moved to Los Angeles, but was way too early and basically lost an enormous amount of money in a very short period of time trying to make it work. And that sort of led me stumbling into radio where I volunteered at a radio station in Los Angeles called KCRW. And in volunteering there, that led to me doing a radio show and then finally getting really tired of doing graphic design and writing as sort of like a, a freelance way of making enough money to continue doing what I love, which was working with music. Sorry to interrupt you, but I was going to ask you that. I mean, you had to have always had a passion for music in the background, right? I mean, you were listening to music, tapping around when you're doing all these different things. Is that fair? Always. Absolutely. Well, my, my parents are both immigrants. My mom is from Germany. My father's from Croatia. Wow. And, uh they never really viewed music or art as being something that was a responsible way to make a living. You know, and I never knew it was an option. So I always looked into other ways of making a living. And when I discovered how much I love film, that led me to film school. So I think my true passion really was in narrative storytelling and the fact that I was able to kind of circle around after many years of delay is kind of a wonderful accident. You have said it's our job, this as it relates to you, this is a quote, it's our job to become experts in every imaginable genre with an ever-expanding palette and sophistication level so we can best serve our different projects. So I have to ask you, are there any genres that you personally dislike but still feel compelled to keep up with? Uh, none really. I think that, you know, in a way, music supervision is a perfect field for people who are insatiably curious because in a way, every project you get offers you an entirely new world to explore and new genres, new sounds, new time periods. And I have an unquenchable thirst for information, especially when it relates to music. Well, and you're listening intently. Can you ever throttle back and listen passively or just simply for enjoyment? Oh, God, I would love to say yes, but I'm not sure if that's true. <laughs> it's hard to kind of turn that off. But I think that, you know, I, I find classical music is sort of the one area that I'm able to disappear into still and 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 not be critical. It still kind of has me in awe. And I, I continue to kind of explore deeper and deeper in classical music because it does allow me to disappear. And I think jazz, too. As I get older, both classical and jazz become more and more the music that I listen to to leave my work behind. Mm. Well, I want to explore your exploration a little bit more. Tell me, where do you find interesting new music? Where do you dig up obscure older cuts? 
you know, when I started in the in the late 1990s, 1999, you know, we didn't have a lot of options. It was like you had to go to the record store. And, you know, and when I was a teenager, it was literally I would have to take a, a bus to get to a train, to get to the city, to go to the record store. I would not be able to listen to the records frequently. I'd look at like the liner notes and figure out who was playing on it. And if I recognized the name from another record I loved, I would buy it. And then I would take that same train and then that bus and then a 20 minute walk home to put the record on and then wow. hope that it works. And if you think about how much investment goes into that, it's totally different now. You know, right. teenagers now can literally have almost anything they want, pop it up on Spotify and hear it. So. I think that as far as uh, finding music, it is easier than ever before, but I think we have to train ourselves to really listen carefully because it's very easy to miss nuanced music because it's so easy to hit fast forward and jump to the next track. Right. It is easy to find it, but in your business, there's obviously the creative side, the finding side, but then there's also the business of it. So how often mm -hmm. are you dealing with you know, the legal headaches of trying to clear songs? Oh, constantly. It's every time you find an idea that you're excited about, you know, you have to prepare yourself for the heartbreak of, okay, now how am I going to find the people that own this song, right. who control the song, make sure that they're prepared to do business, that we're actually able to license the song and make sure that everything is done correctly. So the companies that I work for and their business affairs department are satisfied that we have legal rights to use it. It is, it is a very double-edged sword, and especially for the projects that I work on, which tend to lean towards more obscure music, you know, we bump into little heartbreaks quite frequently where it's like, wow, there's nobody's around to say, I own the song, I can sign off on it, and that does happen quite a bit. Right. Well, the question I have for you, because we work in production as well, is when do you come into the process? I mean, are you coming in when they're still filming? Uh, are editors cutting to your music, or do they have an idea? When do you step in? as early as possible. For television, one of the reasons I really love television right now, and I've kind of loved it since, you know, working on Six Feet Under, which was my first entry into that in, in, in uh, 1999, is that it moves very quickly and you get a chance to kind of work on it year round. You know, as soon as you're done with the season, we are already preparing new ideas. We're already meeting with the writer's room as soon as the writer's room have arced out some of the general. They don't even have scripts yet. And we start to put together mixtapes really, really early to try to get them into the same headspace as us, which is really kind of fun and exciting. So with films, I love to be on board when they're actually writing the script. So if I have a relationship with a filmmaker, it's wonderful to get that phone call of saying, hey, I've got this idea, I'm working on it, can you put a mixtape of ideas together? And that's something which is really can be very joyous. It also means that you're working on a project for a very long period of time. Talk to me a little bit about what one of the, the series that you worked on, I'm a huge fan of, is Breaking Bad. And there were a couple sequences musically that were just brilliant, specifically the song Wendy, Crystal Blue Persuasion. They seemed absolutely perfect for those sequences. First of all, tell me how you made the selections. And then secondly, when you make the pitches, do you have a backup plan in case the director doesn't like it? Well, in those cases, because they were so orchestrated to picture, we had to clear those ahead of time. So okay. a lot of the ideas come from mixtapes early on. And that's one of the reasons I love the process of doing these mixtapes is that they're they're very blue sky. It's almost like I get a sense about the, the themes of that season, a sense of where the characters are headed to. 
And then myself and my team, we just brainstorm. We come up with ideas that we think are interesting and that feel like they're moving the story forward. Those mixes then go to the writers and to the directors, and sometimes they'll draw from those mixes to build these sequences. In the case of both of those songs, we knew that we were building them around those songs, so we had to clear them ahead of time. And in the case of, of Wendy, that was a very tricky clearance because, as you can imagine, yeah. it's kind of hard to say, well, there's, this is the story of the, a day in the life of a crystal meth whore, and what you see is very tied to the lyrics in a cheeky way. So I have to give enormous credit to the association for bravely giving us an approval on that because they could have very easily said, this is wildly inappropriate and this is not what we had in mind when we read the song. But you know, you do that. That's one of the things I think that's really interesting about what you do is you'll pick a piece of music and you listen to the music and then the scene that it's for and you go, man, what in the world? That's a crazy juxtaposition, but somehow it works. I think that's sort of the joy of it. It's, it's, you know, the longer I do this, the more I try to surprise myself and try to surprise, you know, our filmmakers. Like, you know, we're a little bit like a really great baseball team now, especially the Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul team. So we do just waves and waves of different ideas to try to get to the right one. And a lot of times, you know, it's that weird curveball idea, the one that I almost feel guilty putting in the mix because it feels too crazy. 500 seconds. That frequently ends up in the sequence because everyone collectively feels like, you know what, I don't know why, but it does something really magic here. And I think that's the part which is always exciting to me is when, especially I'm working with the picture, I just look for some sort of spark, some sort of synchronicity, something really magical that allows that song and that scene to have a whole new relationship where you can never really see them separately from each other again. Although there's always that answer. There's always another solution. But it's always really nice when we nail upon it and we feel like, okay, we, we collectively realize this is the right idea. On the creativity and imagination part of it, I've read, is it true that you create mixtapes for characters while you're brainstorming? Yes, absolutely. You know, in many ways, I think that music supervision is not that different from casting, you know, or from acting, really. You're, you're trying to fall in love with each of the characters independently, and you're trying to understand who they are. And in doing so, it allows you to have different ideas that may inform other situations. So sometimes a mix for one character will actually help me in getting to an answer for another one because of the complexities of their relationship to each other. And it, that will sometimes inform one to the other. It's it's an interesting process, but it's a little bit like just getting to know the landscape. So when I read a script, I really try to kind of scribble a lot of notes about the different characters, get a sense of them, and start building mixes. Sometimes it's about their taste. Sometimes it's about their situation. Sometimes it's really about the energy that they have. A lot of those ideas never make it anywhere, but they help to inform the journey. And every once in a while, I'll go back to them and think, actually, that that could be really great. And you look at it against picture and you're like, okay, the universe meant this to happen. It just fits like a glove. Yeah, yeah. Well, talk to me a little bit about, obviously, you're making selections of music, but you're also deciding when to be in and when to be out. Yes. Talk to me about silence. Great question. I think in many ways, we as music supervisors and composers and anybody working with music and film have to sort of view the landscape as being exactly that. There is sound effects and sound design, there is score, there are songs, and there's silence. And they all have, you know, equal footing in essence. They all have an opportunity to inform the scene. Our job is always to find new ways of informing the scene, adding an interesting energy or texture to a scene. And frequently, especially I think, you know, Breaking Bad was wonderful in teaching me this, the importance of choosing not to have music, to letting the audience not be told how to feel, where to go, and figure it out for themselves is sometimes the most powerful approach. Yeah, yeah. 
another decision that you have to make is you have to choose between original compositions and existing music. How do you go about that? That is very much a time-sensitive issue. You know, in many ways, we would love if we could, you know, fill in tons and tons of original pieces. I love working with artists. I love developing pieces of music, and I feel really good at it. I feel like I, I enjoy it a lot, and my enthusiasm usually gets expressed well to the artists, and we just almost always have a great time doing it. The problem is time. You know, we have so little time in television. You know, frequently, we're spotting an episode on a Wednesday, and the next Tuesday, we're mixing it. So we're talking about six to seven days of turnaround time. That means we have to you know, pull the ideas together, present the ideas, get approval on the ideas, clear the ideas, and then prepare them for the mix all in an incredibly short window of time. The possibility of having commissioned work is complicated. There's also a lot of rights issues you know, some of the studios that we work with uh, insist on owning any copyright that is being built for that project. Mm. That means that we have to go to the artist and say, listen, this is a work for hire. You know, you're going to get paid a fee, but it will not be your song anymore. And if that studio decides they want to place it somewhere else or sell it off to somewhere else, they have the right to do that. You need to be prepared for that. So it is one of those situations where we are kind of the middlemen with a lot of business interests. And we are always very honest and very forthright with the artists that we work with so they know exactly the truth terms of it. The final sequence of Six Feet Under is considered by many, several of whom are in actually the studio where I'm sitting right now, the best finale scene in television history. Uh, the song you used is so full of contradictory emotions. What made you pick that song and what were you trying to get the audience to feel? Well, that one was in many ways kind of beautifully baked into the cake of the finale. Um, people don't really remember this, but we used that song in the trailer for the final season. And it was a song that uh, from an artist, Sia, that we had been introduced to through, I think, the second season of Six Feet Under. She was a guest vocalist on a band called Zero Seven on one of the songs. And we loved the song. We ended up placing it into the show. And we loved her voice so much that we did some more research. We found out that she was an Australian artist. We reached out to her management and basically said, is there any other music that you could send to us? And they sent her first record to us, which 200 seconds didn't really strike us as well as we thought we would. And we kind of moved on. And then we got an email from the manager saying, hey, she has a new record. Would you like to check it out? And the new record was really, really stunning. And that was one of the songs on it. We ended up pitching it at the end of season four for a couple sequences. And Alan Ball really fell in love with that song and basically said, let's let's have our, our, our music video, sort of our trailer for the new season and use that. Oh. And when it came to choosing the closing sequence, we really decided that that was the right way to continue. It just captured so many different, as you put it really well, it, it captured so many different contradictory feelings. There is such a wistfulness to it and such an emotional quality to it. And because she was a, a lesser known artist at the time, it was a wonderful introduction for a lot of people. And I think that was one of the reasons that that moment felt so powerful. We weren't taking a song that you already had associations with and building this very important sequence around it. We were using a song that was largely a, a first impression for people. And it made that moment, I think, even more emotionally poignant because you were having that journey with the character as she's driving away from her family and we're watching all of our characters uh, close their, their lives and their stories. Yeah, it, it worked beautifully. And speaking of finales, the Breaking Bad finale was also widely acclaimed. And I guess my question for you is, do you have any concerns or trepidation about returning to that world for El Camino? 
None whatsoever. Okay. Uh, Vince Gilligan is the Stanley Kubrick of our time period. I, I don't know of a greater filmmaker. I don't know of anybody who has who is is more at the top of their game. And this film is such a masterpiece. One hundred seconds. I think everybody, including Aaron Paul, were worried to a degree. It's like we have such a beautiful legacy. Why would we mess with it? And the truth of the matter is that I think that Vince has done something so special. It is really an extraordinary film and i really hope people see it in theaters because it is meant to be seen in a movie theater there's only one weekend that it's going to be out and i think anybody who misses seeing the theater will regret having missed that it's such a special and unique experience so yeah i have no qualms whatsoever i, I feel so honored and lucky to be part of it and i think this is going to be another part of an extraordinary legacy sold i'm buying a ticket <laughs> <laughs> 60 seconds all right thomas this is the speed round are you ready i'm ready what song have you always wanted to use but couldn't clear? That brings me back to Breaking Bad again and a sequence where we had Walter White singing in the car before he gets maced. Uh, we had Steely Dan A19 in mind. We tried desperately. We reached out to the band. We did everything we could. And in the end, we ended up with America's Horse With No Name, which I think was an even better choice. What's the most overused song in film or television history? 30 seconds. Uh, I'll give you two. Uh, Jefferson Airplane's White Rabbit, and now lately Johnny Cash's cover of Nine Inch Nails' Hurt. Okay, I was going to go with Layla. What film's use of music has had the greatest impact on you? 2001 A Space Odyssey. What's the most underrated instrument? Uh, the human voice. Excellent answer. 10 seconds. What song would be the theme in the movie of your life? <laughs> Uh, here, I'll go Kubrick. Also, Spach Zarathustra. Thanks for listening to 1K, powered by Ortho Carolina. If you like our show, please share it with a friend, leave us a review, and subscribe. Special thanks to producer Jordan Snyder, music by Jason Hausman. I'm your host, Scott Galloway. We'll be back in your feed with a new episode next week that's just 604,800 seconds away. <laughs>